Hi, this is the Wine Beat Podcast. I'm your host, Craig. And the Wine Beat is an exploration of the world's great wine regions and great wine adventures. We go on location and often well off the beaten path to bring these episodes to you. And we've gotten busy recently uploading content since the website underwent its recent makeover. That was pretty disruptive, but I, I think the end result is worth all the effort. So, you know, you can let me know. Please have a look at our website and tell me if you like the current look and feel. I'm happy about it. I like it a lot. So I, I hope you do too. Um, let me also know what you think about the awesome, groovy, bluesy new theme music created by my friend Jim Wilson. I really love it. Uh, and I hope you do too. Now to today's Wine Beat episode. This is our second installment of the Cocktails with Winemakers sub-series of podcasts. In Cocktails, we have a fireside chat about winemaking. We sit with a winemaker, uh, we sit him down, we have some drinks to lubricate the conversation, and we talk winemaking from a, from a layman's perspective. So a winemaker tells us about winemaking in a non-technical way. If you love wine and would like to hear firsthand about the blood, sweat, and tears that goes into making it, then you just might love our Cocktails with Winemakers series. Felix Egerer is our guide again in this episode. In the last episode, we talked about the harvest decision and how to know when to pick the grapes. In this episode, we go to the next step in the winemaking process, and Felix gives us a winemaker's insight into the most exciting time of the year, crush. Here's Felix with what he calls Tetris on the crush pad. This is the Wine Beat Podcast. Let's go. We're back with Cocktails with Winemakers, episode two. Episode two. Felix Agerer, we've just recorded episode one just half an hour ago. I'm and, still here. <laughs> and Felix is still here. And we've got halfway through our margaritas. We're, um, so we're having cocktails. We're having some margaritas. Who made the margaritas? I did, and I make a pretty mean margarita. It is mean indeed. That's my part of the show. Felix is the expert, and he's going to talk to us about crush pad operations. Uh, in the previous episode, if you haven't listened to it, we talked about uh, agriculture, the fruit picking decision. The picking decision is what the winemakers always refer to, the picking decision. That moment when the wine is, or the, the grapes are at that moment, at the right ripeness, where all the components are perfect for making great wine. So... How does that work? So that was the previous episode. Now we've picked up the grapes. The winemaker said, it's a great harvest. This stuff is awesome. We're going to bring it into the winery. And now it's all go. There's tractors coming in. There's trucks coming in. However, the winery is working with bins full of fruit. And there's uh, there's the extra crew that you always have at harvest. The, the interns have come in. And you've got people from all over the world, from Australia, from California, from Italy. They're... From, even from Germany, Felix. And you've got this crew and they're processing fruit. So so, so all of this is happening. The, the fruit is coming in at the cellar door, at the crush pad door. And, uh, and we're going to talk about how we process fruit. And we're going to make red wine, we're going to make white wine, and we're going to make rosé. Fantastic. Let's do it. All right. All right. Harvest. The joys of harvest. Um, it's my favorite time of year. It's everyone's favorite time of year. It's where the magic happens, where we get the one shot to to make it happen. Um, and it's 
once you've done it a few times, it's less overwhelming. But the first time you do it, it's a lot going on. Just like you said, trucks, tractors, bins, interns, hoses, whatnot. Um, I like to refer to it as Tetris because there's stuff moving in all directions and you have to move one thing to move two others and it's great. I love it. I've never heard that before, Tetris, but uh, it's moving the blocks around. and Moving the blocks around, moving everything around. Um, cause it's we're like dealing... a puzzle though, it is. Oh, absolutely. It's um, it's a fragile puzzle. We're dealing with, with grapes that the second you snip them off the vine, the clock starts ticking and they, well, you've severed the cord and uh, now you have to deal with the grapes before they before they turn and yeah we get them to the winery they show up just as you said and then we go i mean there's unlimited pathways really but ultimately what we want is for the grape to give up the sugar the acid the flavors sometimes the color and to get to end up with juice in one way or another that is sweet and contains all the others basically an extract of the grape and we want yeast to ferment that extract and ferment the sugar into alcohol and then we have wine it sounds simple but it sounds immensely <laughs> simple it sounds immensely simple and and uh, you've got grapes coming in you're going to squish them and you're going to get juice and you're going to make wine how hard can that be that's yeah that's what i thought going into my first harvest and uh, I soon learned that it's a little more complicated than that. <laughs> but this is the magic, right? This is the crush pad is... Uh... This is where it all happens. This is where, yeah, so many processes are taking place at once. And even if you're not doing anything, once, once a wine is fermenting, then it's still doing stuff. There's billions of little critters in your tank, in your vats, chewing away at the sugar and turning it into alcohol in the process. So there's the farming process out in the vineyard, right? And the decision yep. about when to pick the grapes. And then there's this mechanical piece. That's kind of the way I think about it because and you used the description about Tetris, right? With the puzzle and all the, the movement of juice and grapes and tanks and stuff. And then later on, it becomes more of a, not chemical, that's not the right word, but it is all about the chemistry of the fermentation and stuff like that. But this is the mechanical process. So this is where forklifts are moving and bins are moving and there's stuff being dumped in presses. And But it's different, isn't it, for red, white, and rosé? Yeah, absolutely. They're three distinctly different approaches to winemaking. And then within those approaches, you have another... I don't even know how many ways of making it. Everyone has their own little method of doing it. Um, I think it's probably easiest if we just start with white. It's the easiest or, yeah, most straightforward process of, uh, of making wine. So you have the white grapes. Let's just take Riesling, which happens to be one of my favorite grapes. Um, Riesling shows up on the crash pad, beautiful clusters, it's all clean, shows up in bins, gets dropped off, and then the winery crew starts to deal with it. And traditionally, white grapes um, are pressed right away. So they'll either be dumped into a press as whole clusters, um, or they can be distemmed 
and then dumped into the press just to fit a little bit more fruit into the press. Um, very common in larger operations just because you can streamline the process a little bit more and you can process more volume at once. Um, here at Tanless, we um, whole bunch press all our whites. So we have the forklift, picks up the bin. All of them are whole bunch pressed. All the whites are whole bunch pressed, yeah. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to back us up just yeah. a little bit because um, I think this is important, right? So uh, probably some of the listeners have, have, have been in a winery tour and they've seen it, but when those, when those bins full of grapes come in, they might get fed through a destemming machine before they go into the big, that big, how big are your presses here? Eight tons? Uh, we have a three ton press. Okay. Yeah. Three tons. Um, those grapes get uh, destemmed. They may, they may be destemmed. They go through this machine that just sort of plucks the berries off with a series of paddles. And then those those berries go into the press and get and then and they get squished in the press and the juice comes off. Yeah. Or what you're saying is that Tantalus, you you do all whole bunch, which means yep. that you are loading the bunches with the stems, with all that the reiki. Yeah. Uh, it goes into the press and you, yep. and you and you press them off that way. Yeah. So we we. What's the difference? Why why would you destem them and take the berries off and put them in the press, or why would you put the Put them in whole, 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 uh, whole bunch. So, as I said, one of the things could be one of the reasons could be just sheer volume of fruit. If it's destemmed, it's soupy, so you always get the berries. They're ripped a little bit or crushed a little bit, and some of the juice is ready extracted, and it's soupy, and you can fit way more of that soup because it's it behaves like a liquid into the press. Whereas whole bunches, they're you dump a bin of fruit into the press and it's a mountain of fruit in the press that behaves like a mountain. You can shovel it away, but it won't ever just level itself. Um, some people will destem because that process of prejuicing a little bit begins the process of extraction. So some of the flavor compounds that are in, um, the skin, for example, in, in white varieties, say Muscat, Riesling, Gewurztraminer, um, by destemming them, you pre-soak them, is what we call it. And then you just get a little bit more extraction of those flavor po- compounds from the skins. Um, and whole bunching, if you don't want that extraction... So you'll get can... more of the flavor compounds from the skins... And from the stems, not from the stems. Not from the there's stems. no flavor in the stems. Okay, you get more of the flavor compounds from the skins if you um, if you if you destem them before you go they go into the press. Yeah, uh, you'll get a cleaner. It's maybe not a great word, but you'll get a uh, less of those flavor compounds if you if you if the skin flavor compounds if you press them a uh, whole bunch in the press. Yes and no. You still get them by pressing because it's a physical process of squishing the compounds out with the juice, but um, it's easier to extract them if you distem beforehand. Okay, so I'm taking us down a rabbit hole. Let's carry on. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we're filling the press. We're taking um, for whole clusters. I'm just going to do whole cluster now because that's what I'm most familiar with. I'm taking the bins, lifting them up with a forklift dumping them into the hopper the hopper feeds into the press and then um 
you fill the press up to however many bins you have on the crush pad or you have to put into that press. Um, the more you put in a press, especially when you get close to the capacity, the harder it's going to be to press the skins really dry just because there's a lot of volume in there and it's like squishing out a sponge if you have a small sponge in your hand it's fairly easy to squeeze out all the liquid if it's a giant sponge you're gonna have some trouble um, pressing out the liquid and then you seal up the press um, everyone moves out from the press you have a tray underneath to catch the juice and hoses and a pump hooked up and then you select your press program which can usually last around two to two and a half hours. Um, for some, some people choose programs that last way longer. Some people go way faster because um, they just need to mow through it. And then you push the magic button on the press and it starts doing its thing. So the press is a big, typically nowadays, I think. There's lots of different press oh, yeah. styles, but... Yeah. Typically now people are using these large cylindrical stainless steel things that have a bladder inside yep. that, that that inflates and pushes inwards and squishes up the grapes, right? Yeah. So, um, and you, as you say, there's programs that you can use for those and you can run it faster, you can run it harder, you can run it slower and more gently. Um, and depending on how hard or how gentle you, you, you run that press, you're going to get, you're going to get a different characteristic of the juice coming off the grapes. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so when we're pressing winemakers talk in, in pressure that the press inflates to. So as you said, that membrane is affixed to the inside of the press. Usually half of the, half of the press has a membrane and then it just pushes the grapes against the other side as it inflates. And, um, as it inflates, it goes from zero bar, which is the vacuum, to a maximum usually of 1.8 to two bar. Two bar is really pushing it as pressure in that membrane. And um, throughout the cycle, you usually start with very low pressure for a repeated cycles. So you'll go up to 0.2 bar, which is very little pressure for maybe 40 minutes. So you just gently squeeze the grapes to coax out the early run, the first press fraction of juice, which is um, very sweet and has a good amount of acid in it. And then as you slowly increase the pressure over time and go into different parts of the cycle, you start extracting other compounds out of the, um, out of the grapes, out of the, yeah, out of the fruit. So as time goes by, you'll extract less and less acid because the acid is really in the pulp and you'll start crushing the, the part of the grape that's closer to skin and to the center of the berry. And that's where it just gets a little harsher. You have the skin and then the seeds where you have a lot of that tannin. And especially in the seeds, that's what you don't want to get that tannin because it tends to be really green and harsh and you don't want to crack those seeds. Yeah. So this sounds quite technical, but it's it's actually quite important, right? Because we're talking about press runs. And press runs are how winemakers in many respects, you know, live or die in terms of the quality of the wines, the, especially the premium wines. They want to get that press 
those press runs correct. They want to get the free run correct. They want to get the press run correct. And, and then they can use that for blending later. So we were talking about white wine. And we're talking about the fact that you put white grapes typically either through a destemming machine or directly with a full uh, whole bunch into the into the press and you and you press that juice off right away and you have these different press cycles to get either a free run or a, a heavier press yeah. series of runs we're making white wine so why are we doing this why are we pressing it off so quickly why because it's going to be different when we talk about red wine right you you do something quite different with 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 wine for for with grapes for red wine why are we doing this why are we pressing it so quickly um in whites we're not really interested in anything other than the flavor and whatever's in the pulp in the juice so sugar is an acid um, we're not really after those tannins or any other color that um, are usually found, especially the color is found in the skin. So it's not actually when you take a red grape, most red varieties, there are a few that are that are red throughout, but you take, say, um, Cabernet or Pinot and cut open a grape and the flesh is white, but the skin is red. And so in white grapes, you don't want any of that color, really. Most white wines are translucent, whitish, very maybe yellowish, greenish. Um, and so when you press it, you're not after anything. You don't have to extract any of those colors. And so you just press it off as quickly as possible. Well, not as quickly as possible, but you press it off and then um, pump it straight to tank. And then you have the choice of whether or not you want to settle the juice or not. So when you press the juice, you have the grapes, there's dust on it. There's um, proteins in the grapes. There's all sorts of stuff that can coagulate. And once you pump juice, it's just like pumping. I don't know, you have your coffee in the morning. When you get to the bottom of your cup, usually there's a little bit of, of dirt at the bottom of the sediment, cup. Yeah. yeah, sediment. And it's the same with grape juice. When you press it and you let it set, settle, settle overnight, um, you'll end up with sediment at the bottom. And that's usually stuff that you don't want in your wine anyway. So more often than not, winemakers will have their juice sit cold overnight. Um, and this, cold. Is, this is classic cellar activity, right? Yeah. You, especially with white wines, you, you press it, you send it to a big stainless steel tank, however big that tank is, uh, 10,000 liters maybe, whatever it is, and you the, the, the staff pumps it into that tank one day. Yep. They let it settle for a day. At a, it's been cooled to whatever temperature is ideal. But then they'll um, they'll rack it off. They'll take the juice off the top and 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 get rid of those sediments. So that's classic white wine, very classic clean white wine making, yeah. right? Press it off the skins right away. Might leave a little bit of skin contact in the press, maybe depending on on your style and the variety you're working with. But classic white wine making: you take the grapes, you press off the juice, you settle it in a tank, and then just like you said, you rack the juice, you pump off the almost clear juice now it's actually amazing how how clear it can get even overnight if it's cold and um then you pump it into another tank or barrels and that's where you're going to ferment it and so, so it's, it's it's expeditious right you're going from the 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 vineyard into the press you know it might it might stay overnight in a cooler maybe but anyway it's coming from the vineyard into the press pressed off the skins right away into a tank for settling the next day it comes off that, uh, that you rack it off the, the, the clear juice 
and it's ready to be fermented. Pretty much, yeah. white wine. Yeah. In its most simplistic way. In its most simplistic way. And then there's rabbit holes. Yeah. Lots of them. Yeah. There's rabbit holes. You might want yeah. to make orange wine. Okay, so we've that's that's white wine making in a in a nutshell, and we. But we've we've covered some of the topics we need to cover in terms of red wine making, in terms of coming into the crush pad. Now, let's talk about red. Is it okay? Can we go to red wine yeah, making? Absolutely. Quite distinct, right? Now we're dealing with a completely different animal. Yeah. So red wine making, as I mentioned, most red grapes have white juice. So if you take a red grape and just crush it, you'll end up with a white wine. Um, so to make a red wine, we have to coax out the, the color particles, um, which as I mentioned before are in the skins. Um, so for, for red wines, um, you usually take the grapes, you don't press them right away. You take the grapes, you destem them again or not. Um, whole cluster fermentation is, is a thing in red wines that is becoming more and more popular across the world some wines are 100 percent whole cluster fermented like beaujolais nouveau um, but that's another different method carbonic maceration but basically you take your red grapes you put them in a tank a vessel it can be a tub it can be a barrel with the head taken off in it this can case be with skins with the skins maybe with the stems maybe with the stems um usually you sort through the fruit if you're especially if you're a smaller winery if you're making premium fruit you run it over a sorting table um, and pick out clusters that might be damaged have some rot on them pick out leaves pick out anything else that comes in with the fruit it's amazing um what pickers sometimes throw in their buckets um if you're a fancy winery and make really expensive wine maybe you have an optical sorter that is very expensive but you put grapes in on one end and it has video cameras and sorts out the fruit with little air jets blasting out stuff little that puffs of air that shoot yeah. out the bad stuff um or you could have long tables with people individually sorting the berries yeah right? absolutely and uh once you've sorted through it it all goes into a tank or any sort of vessel that you can that holds liquid pretty much and then it's ready to be fermented for some varieties you'll you'll keep it cold for a couple days just to perform what we call a cold soak so you just macerate the grapes in their own juice for a few days while still mixing it up so you'll pump pump the juice at the bottom of the tank over the top just to mix the tank and um, distribute all the juice um, and also doing the extracting it's much like brewing a tea you'll you'll have or coffee you'll have some movement in there and if you pour it back over the top you'll extract a little bit more and then um, after a few days you can um, start fermentation so to contrast and compare right we had that white wine that went through quite you know boom 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 a couple of days it's basically nice clean juice for white wine ready to be fermented the red wines, typically, by comparison, you're filling a tank full of whole berries, sometimes whole clusters with the stems, and so you've got this big soup with the berries all in that big stainless steel tank. Exactly. And what you're describing is the process to get it into that tank and also to decide how long you let it macerate, sit there, 
before the fermentation, because that's what you're manipulating oftentimes, right? Is one of the keys is that period of time when all of those berries with the skins and the maybe some proportion of the stems, maybe a lot of the stems, maybe a small proportion are in that big tank, but they're not fermenting yet. They're just sitting there, macerating is, is the term. So why, 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 do, why do we do that? We've got we've this big soup that's just sitting there. We just start extracting flavor compounds, um, very minimal color really um, at the very beginning, but you get flavor compounds that are soaking, literally soaking out of, um, out of the skins, out of the berries themselves. And um, you just homogenize the tank by mixing it on a daily basis and um yeah i think traditionally it's it's used to enhance the fruit character in in wines um especially in lighter varieties say gamay or pinot um and it can the cold soak can be anywhere from overnight if you don't have cooling some wineries are not fortunate enough to have unlimited cooling and then sometimes fermentations just start or you have to start them um, to some people keep um, keep grapes cold for almost a week before they, they start fermentation. Again, it comes down to style and the winemaker's experience and the goal that you, that you have. This is also kind of cool because with a white wine, once you've got that clarified juice, you can keep it at a temperature which is cold enough that it's not going to ferment. You Absolutely. Can, you can control you can, when you want that tank to ferment. Yeah. If you, bigger wineries who, who hold their white juice because they have other stuff going on, they, um, or they wait until they fill a tank, the tank is thermostat is set to just above freezing, that tank's not going to ferment. But a, a, a tank with all those grapes, and uh, unless you keep it really cold, which may not be a good idea from a winemaker's perspective, I'm not sure, but... It's going to get ready to ferment right away because it's got all of the the yeasts that are came in on the skins. It wants to get going. Unless you keep it pretty cold, it wants to get going. Even when you keep it cold, it, after a few days, you can you can you can smell other yeasts that are not our traditional winemaking yeast and getting busy and starting they can, to work. They can they can start their work because they work at colder temperatures or they work under oxygen ah, and, um, and you probably you don't can, want that. Some some people want it. Most people don't. Um, it's a very distinctive smell at the beginning when you're cold soaking. Um, it's this, you know, what is it, like nail polish remover almost. Yep. Yep. And that's when most winemakers will definitely turn on the heat or add yeast just to kickstart fermentation. Cause yeah. Yeah. I've heard this before that uh, that nail polish smell. You have to have a certain courage to let that go for a little while because. It, yeah, it's natural. It's going to happen. It, it is natural, and it's. But um, some of those yeasts are not the yeasts that are going to really do the proper fermentation. Yeah, most just, most of those yeasts. Yeah, most of those yeasts are non non Saccharomyces, as we call them. Saccharomyces is the yeast that um, it's brewer's yeast. Basically, that's what traditionally ferments wine, and all these other yeasts that are out there, they're on the grapes and then in the juice. And they're going to do their thing regardless because they can work at different temperatures. And that's what you smell at the beginning. Future episode, fermentations, 
uh, and 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 microbes. There's so much to discuss, but okay. So, but I think we've framed it out a little bit, right? We got white wine, clear juice, bit more control over the fermentation, probably. Red wine, whole berries. You're extracting the components in the skins and in the seeds, and you have to get that right in terms of getting the balance of the uh, phenolic compounds, the tannins, etc., uh, and the colors and all that stuff. So two very distinctive ways of making wine. I mean, there's, their processes are so different mechanically. Yeah. Um, the white wine, as you were describing, is either going to get fermented eventually in tank or maybe in barrel. Often white wine is fermented in barrel. Maybe that's a future episode, I think. But uh, red wine is, um, is going to get fermented usually in the tank, sometimes in barrel, but usually in a tank, yeah. in a stainless steel tank. Stainless or, steel or, or a large oak vats, large, yeah. but lar larger volumes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, and then there's this interesting thing where um, because you fermented that tank full of grapes with all the skins and seeds, the wine is in there at the end of that fermentation period in this, whatever it is, 5,000, 10,000, 20,000 liter container, but it's full of, we, and we haven't even talked about the way the skins float up with the CO2 and all that sort of stuff, but you've got this heavy, heavy soup. You have to get the wine out of there. It is wine now, but it's got a bunch of seeds in it. And yep. skin, sorry, seeds and skins and, and, and stems and whatever else. So you've got this quite messy thing that you need to get the wine uh, out of. So now we're going back to the press, right? Now we're going back to the press. In the white wine, the press was at the front end. And uh, red wine, you press after fermentation, traditionally. So you have, just like you said, you have this tank full of soup, full of wine, but it has all the the leftover skin stems seeds in it and so what we do now is we drain the tank so you have valves at the bottom of the tank usually a little screen on the inside to keep out all the solids and then you drain off the vine the wine and pump it off into a tank to settle or pump it off straight into barrel sometimes it's at that point that's free run for red wine when it comes straight out of the tank and when the tank is drained you still have all the skins inside and you remove the skins in whatever way possible some tanks have a slope bottom so you open the door at the bottom and everything just flows out almost um into bins or other vessels um other tanks you get into they don't have a they don't have a door at the bottom so Someone gets into the tank and shovels it out into buckets and you dump it over the top again into bins, but you save those skins because those skins still have a fair amount of wine in them and you want to recover that wine and use it because it's just as delicious. So once that tank is empty, you have all the skins, then you go to the press. Same thing. You put the, the skins in the press and you start your cycle um, usually a little shorter for red wine than it is for white wine. And you're a little more aware of um, the pressure you're pressing at just because you're pressing the skins and the seeds and whatever hasn't been extracted into the wine is still in there. So it's often, it's a lot of tannin. And the harder you press, the harsher it's going to get. And you just want to be really careful so winemakers for red wine 
often stand by the press and every time the pressure increases they'll taste the wine coming out of the press and at some point when it gets too harsh they just stop the press and then that's it because they don't want that extra bitter wine to go in with a big blend so just as we talked about with the white wines there's different runs there's free run and but in the case of the wine coming out of that tank at the beginning of the um, after the fermentation is completed, you you can actually flow free run straight out of the tank, yeah. And that's free run wine. That's free run wine. And then you've got a massive coagulation of skins and stuff that you dump out in some way, take it to a press, and you can press that, and you can have different levels of press run. Yeah. On that. Yeah, more often than not, you end up with the free run, as you said, then a light press and a hard press. Right. And you keep those fractions, usually keep those fractions separate. You have separate barrels with the press wine and the hard press. And then when it comes to blending, you taste, does it work with the blend? Um, you usually can find a home for it, but it might just, the hard press from your super premium lots might not go into that super premium lot. It might go into a larger blend where there's more volume and you can get away with blending in a barrel um, without noticing it too much. Or you make grappa. Or you make grappa. Right. Blending is going to be a great episode. I think blending is so cool because that's a, another amazing thing, right? You've got all these different, not only different runs from a single tank, but you've got 10, 20, 30, 40 tanks with, you know, depending on the size of the winery, and each of them from different lots in the vineyard. And the blending permutations combinations are, are endless. So blending will be a pretty cool episode. Um, so this is fantastic. We've talked about white, we've talked about red, but we're, we, we need to wrap it up. But we haven't talked about rosé. So let's tell us about rosé, because rosé is an animal unto itself again. Quite fashionable animal these days. Mm. Everyone wants rosé. Um, yeah, rosé. Basically, we take red and white wine making techniques and make a pink or pale reddish wine out of red grapes. So it's a hybrid. Yeah, I'm careful with hybrid because there's hybrid varieties and then a hybrid wine is right. different. But it's it's essentially a hybrid between red and white wine. It has, a little, bit, yeah, it has a little bit of each winemaking characteristic. Yeah, it's absolutely. It's closer to white, isn't it? I mean, really? It's Yeah, it's. I mean, it's consumed chilled. And, but um, in terms of winemaking, it's a bit... Yeah, um, you. I mean, the you, process is, you exclude the skins pretty quickly in the process. So you take red grapes. Let's take Pinot, just because. And you get them to the winery. And then you have a... You want to extract a little bit of color because your your rosés are anywhere from like a salmon, orangey hue to quite pink wines. Um, and so you want to extract a little bit of that color Nowadays, out of the skin. People, like, people tend to like that lighter style. It's kind of more in fashion. But there's a whole range. There's a whole range. And so you're going to, as a winemaker, you're going to decide which place in that range of pinkness you're gonna hit yeah you um you know what your customers want um if you're in provence then you have big buyers who show up with a color chart 
and they show you what color they want and that's what you're going to make because otherwise you're not going to sell to a big chain and um then you you go to work so you take your grapes you want to get a little bit of that color out of the skins so you have two options either you take the red grapes and press them right away as whole bunches and extract some of the, extract some of the color by pressing it a little bit harder at the end or you take the red grapes and run them through the destemmer take the grapes off the rachis pluck them off and then um put them in a tank like you would for red wine fermentation and soak them, but then not ferment them on the skins, but only leave them for a day, two, three, four, depending on how much color you want, cold as a cold soak, and then press them before fermentation. So you end up with a, a pink juice rather than a deep red juice that you would end up from fermentation. And then the third way that um, is also fairly common is when you have a red wine and you'd like to just change the ratio, just make it a little more intense as a red wine. You can, during that cold soak, you can draw off some of the juice off the tank. It's referred to as saigne, which is French for bleeding. bleeding. You bleed off some juice, basically. Yep. So you take some of the pink juice and then you have a higher ratio of skins to juice in the remaining tank. So the red wine is going to be a little more intense, but you also have that, um, that portion of pink juice that you can ferment as rosé. That's a very, very, very quick review of rosé, but I, I think we might have to, might have to stop. I mean, I, I think I love rosé and I think the general wine drinking population is loving rosé more and more all the time. And it would be fun to, well, maybe we'll do a rosé episode. In we the future. can do a rosé episode. So you, as a wine professional, uh, white wine making, red wine making, rosé wine making, what, what turns you on most? <laughs> it's, a, it's a hard question. It's, I enjoy all of it. Um, personally, if, if I was to, to make wine, I would probably cross borders a lot. Um, I'm, I'm more of a, a rebel when it comes to winemaking, have very creative ideas of what to do. Um, I think white wines, you can hide a little bit less in white wines just because they're a little more delicate than, than reds. I know a lot of people would probably disagree with that, especially with lighter reds, but Personally, I'm I'm more of a, a white wine maker fan um, than than reds. I just think it's yeah, because you can bring out the character. You can bring out the char- You can bring out the character in, in in whites and reds. In whites, it's just less room for error. Let's put it that way. It's more of a challenge to me. Um, Interesting than than reds, but. I don't really discriminate. I enjoy all of it. Red, white, rosé, sparkling, orange. We, uh, we, <laughs> and, we did, and we didn't even cover sparkling. Uh, that's another episode. Another episode. Orange. Another episode. All of it. It's endless. It Felix, is. Thanks a million. Absolutely. This is fun. Uh, next episode is, what are we going to cover next episode? I have no clue. I mean, either. Where's fermentations. Your, fermentations. Oh, yeah. 
That should be fun. Next episode, we're going to cover fermentations. So um, uh, that was an immensely big topic. I'm not sure how we managed to squeeze that into 40 minutes, but we did. So cool. Thanks again. Yay to us. All right. Talk to you soon. Bye. That was Cocktails with Winemakers, and that was Felix Egerer of Tantalus Estates telling us about Tetris on the Crush Pad. So who's your favorite host, Felix or Craig? You can vote by sending a comment or an email to the website. Visit www.thewinebeat.com. Um, by the way, you should vote for Felix, so he'll come back and do more episodes with me. Just, just, just a hint, just saying. I should let you know that Felix and I have already recorded installment number three of Cocktails, and that one is about fermentation, so please come back in the near future for that one. Fermentation is the magical part where the yeast makes alcohol, which is something we all appreciate but it also makes some delicious other stuff in the process uh, next up however on the wine beat podcast are some episodes from our recent trip to the loire muscadet chenon mont louis sur loire and saumur champigny so this is going to be quite a comprehensive tour of the loire visiting some fascinating winemakers who were very welcoming and they're working in areas that don't get as much attention as is really deserved. The Loire is, uh, is a strangely somehow slightly overlooked winemaking region. We're going to take a good look at some of the sub-regions within the Loire. There's going to be some companion materials in terms of blogs on the website, so lots of content. Speaking of blogs, there's some new stuff up. Uh, please check out Dispatches and 1001 Wine Routes. Uh, under Dispatches, we've recently done a couple of great articles, one on the fabulously eccentric photographer Matt Wilson from Chile, another one about a walking tour of the wine bars of Midtown Manhattan. Uh, fantastic stuff. So please visit us on www.thewinebeat.com. Send us your comments and input to craig at thewinebeat.com. I look forward to having your feedback, so please send send your comments. Thanks for visiting us. Talk to you soon. Bye. Old world to the new, you'll find a different point of view.